Blog Talk Radio. first just a couple of weeks before fall camp 2016 here on bams radio i'm your host judy Armin with our producer slash uh commentator slash writer extraordinaire thomas the rock watts is with us tonight william redfish barger our third compadre and uh, the third musketeer he will be here in about uh, 15 minutes or so at 7 15 to talk with us and then later on this hour at 7:30, we're going to be honored to be joined by benji mahan and uh, he is the offensive coordinator and o-line coach uh he's going into his third season at fayetteville high school in arkansas and of course he has a star pupil on his squad that is now pledged to the university of alabama akil byers a defensive tackle alabama's second defensive line commit though it could in a lot of ways be the first uh, because the young man from georgia uh, in uh, Stevenson High School could be on the watch list to decommit because the Georgia Bulldogs have made him a, high, a priority. And all I'll say in this situation, I know uh, he he, he uh, played well at Alabama's camp, but all I will say about uh, Mr. Sterling, and that's Aaron Sterling, is he's a great football player, but he's a little bit undersized. And Jeremy Pruitt, there have been certain recruits, such as Xavier McKinney, uh, who has now disappeared, and, you know, that we're committed for a long time before Jeremy Pruitt got here. And there's always uh, philosophies that differ in a little bit between coaches. And I think Jeremy Pruitt is a guy that may prefer guys that are maybe a little bit bigger, maybe a little bit of different profile. And I think that's why you've seen uh, a couple of kids, such as we talked about, Xavier McKinney, kind of go by the wayside. Alabama now has. Uh, 15 commitments. I think they're going to sign 27 to 28. And with their uh, elite camp winding down, uh, it's now it pre- pretty much wrapped up, uh, except for the uh, D-line camp coming up on the 23rd. And then, of course, the cookout this weekend, uh, that it will wrap up Alabama's summer camp season. But Thomas has been very productive, and a lot of talent has been coming into Tuscaloosa. Yeah, it's been really interesting, Drew. I have to give you credit. I've been able to mainly keep up with it through Twitter. And, you know, almost on the hour, I see retweets that you find from kids either in Tuscaloosa, pictures of, like, in the football facility with Nick Saban or whatnot. There, there's been a parade of elite football players through Tuscaloosa over the past week or two. And, and you know, is Alabama going to sign all of them? No, they're not. But – they're going to sign enough of them to where Crimson Tide fans will have absolutely nothing to worry about in terms of star power on the roster over the next year or two. It's, it's good, but uh, I will say, Drew, and I know I've pitched this show as recruiting, and we're going to focus on recruiting, but uh, season's just around the corner, and I'm continuing to get more excited. But anyway, you know, tip of the hat on the uh, recruiting thing from you. Thank you, Thomas. I appreciate that. And 
you know, and, and again, the, the attrition may not be over with in this Alabama class. I talked about Aaron Sterling. He could end up elsewhere. You know, I think there's another prospect or two that perhaps on the list uh, could end up going to another school. But I think in the end it's going to end up once again be a uh, top uh, two to three class nationally, perhaps number one. I mean, Ohio State and LSU are both having banner years, and uh, Urban Meyer has uh, got a lot of great players on the hook. They're having their uh, Friday Night Lights or whatnot, I think, this week and, and this weekend. So they continue to bring great talent in. But I will say this, you never have to worry about recruiting under Nick Saban. And what I and again, the, the number to watch is twenty seven. And if they could get the right twenty eight, I've been told that it could end up being as high as twenty eight. And they're uh, meeting their needs. And there's a lot of guys uh we could see a flurry this weekend, uh, especially with this cookout and, and camp winding down. There's still kids coming in to visit and uh there's <laughs> there's already been a few kids uh, to uh, make a na- uh, set announcement times, like Henry Ruggs of Montgomery Lee, going into his, only his second full year of football, but he's a slot receiver. He will commit August the 1st, and it will be the University of Alabama. Uh, and then August the 2nd, there's a kid up from up my neck of the woods. Uh, he sat his decision date yesterday, tweeting out big news August the 2nd, and that would be Kendall Randolph of Bob Jones High School in uh, Madison, Alabama. And, yes, if you want to, those most know that are part of the Tide Nation, but just in case they don't, the last name's familiar. He is the younger brother of Levi Randolph, the former All SEC uh, swingman for Alabama's basketball team. So, needless to say, I think Kendall Randolph is going to commit on the second, also. And right now, Major Tennyson is scheduled to be in town. I think he is right now from Bullard, Texas. He's a tight end. Alabama wants to take one or two tight ends in this cycle. And he decommitted from the Longhorns for a reason as he's coming to Tuscaloosa. I will quite frankly be surprised if he doesn't leave as a commitment to the Crimson Tide. And then uh, tomorrow, there's been word leaking out. Uh, I think uh, if you like the city of Madison, Alabama, Madison, Alabama, and I certainly do, uh, there's another prospect, a defensive back, Kyrie McDonald, that's on commitment watch as well, that could do something uh, in the very near future. So, I think uh, the class is going to start filling up, and but I do think, as usual, the last five, six, seven slots, uh, Coach Saban is going to be, and the staff are going to be very selective and hold some spots for some people. But I think they like where they are, and the the class is. It kind of got off to a slow start, but it's been uh, going along at a pretty brisk pace lately, and I like where the class is going, and they're going to fill their needs and sign another great group. Well, it it, it sounds like just judging from what you just said, Drew. All the Star Trek fans, if they have extra popcorn after they go see the new movie this weekend, I'm one of those. So you can just use the extra popcorn and watch the recruiting wire because it uh, sounds popcorn worthy from where I'm standing. And, and Drew, before we go on with the show, we have a listener who, who is blowing up my DMs, and uh, he does this all the time, and we always appreciate <laughs> it. But I want to give a, a shout out and a hat tip to our good friend and loyal listener, Bama Bubba. Great right. to have you I, listening to us live for once. He, he he pawned the kids off on his better half, so you know he can listen uh, to us. We always love his uh, him listening and interacting, and I got a chance to meet him again uh, at SEC Media Days. He was there talking to Ryan Fowler and I. Fowler uh, got a chance to interview Nick Saban one-on-one for the first time in his career, and he did a great job with that. Thought I was going to get a second opportunity, but thanks to Paul Feinbaum, that did not happen. Uh, Paul Feinbaum, of course, uh, made Saban erupt like a volcano, and uh, our station ended up getting bumped from that situation, but we still got a chance to sit down with 
Jonathan Allen, O.J. Howard, and Eddie Jackson. All those guys seem very focused. But, of course, after SEC Media Days, what we saw this weekend, Thomas, was the Alphonse Shank-Taylor arrest and the DUI leaving the scene of an accident. It still leaves me pause, and Coach Saban has made, you know, uh, uh, you know, reference to it this week as he went through the ESPN car wash. If you worry about the team being focused because – the three guys that have been arrested, Cam Robinson, Hootie Jones, and uh, Alphonse Shank-Taylor, they should all be leaders and guys that are staying out of trouble, and they have, you know, they have uh, all been uh, run afoul of the law. So you worry about if the team is focused. So I can tell you this. I'm, this is just educated guessing after you know, observing Coach Saban for several years and the way he's run this program. But uh, at the beginning of this uh, fall camp, I think he is going to be amped up, to say the least, to try to bring this team back to where he wants it to be from a focus standpoint because he he still remembers 2010. Of course, injuries had a lot to do with that, but that team was so talented, and you want to make sure you get the most out of this group. Granted, there's a quarterback issue, but still very, you know, four very talented options and a lot of good, really good football players on both sides of the ball. You want this team to live up to their potential, and I know that will probably be his mantra as far as focus and uh, just this and, and, and this team has done nothing. Don't worry about last year. And uh, and he, I know last year's team was one of his favorite because of the leadership. He's he's wanting to see things the same thing from this group, but I think he's a little worried following this summer. And, and I have to say that I can't really blame him for the reasons that you outlined. I mean, I know that Fish has defended Shank Taylor on this program before, saying that it's tough for an offensive lineman to stay at whatever their playing weight is in the offseason because you're not working out as much or you're not as focused. And I understand that, and to a certain extent I sympathize. But this has not been a banner, call it six and a half, seven and a half months for Shank Taylor. And it's just like when I saw it break – I'm sure that Nick Saban will handle it internally and we'll get a document that sees, you know, what actually happened, but it's not good. And uh, I would not want to be in those first couple of practices, particularly if the young men come out and look either flat or a little disinterested to start it, because I agree with you. I think that for all of Nick Saban exploding on Paul Feinbaum, which was a hundred percent justified, but for all of Nick Saban doing that, he's not stupid. He realizes, you know, there is something that needs to be addressed. And the thing is, though, he's going – I think he's going to address it. I mean, yes, with Cam Robinson getting arrested and, you know, we, we've, you just broke it down on a nauseam, there is an issue, but it's fixable. And if there's one thing that Nick Saban has shown since 2010, I can't remember – a team, like an Alabama team where I watched it and I felt like they didn't, if not live up to their full potential, get within spitting distance of it and be consistently competitive. I, I can't think of a game where I watched Alabama play and it was like, wow, it wasn't just a bad game. It was these guys didn't give a rip. So I think it's going to get solved, Drew, but I, I fully embrace the fact that I'm wearing crimson colored glasses when I say that. <laughs> well, and uh I think the I can I completely understand where you're coming from. Alabama has always competed under Nick Saban. It's just when you go back and you look at the team and 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 you watch the way they finished, like when they took apart Michigan State in 2010, and what they did in spits and 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 and, start, and spurts 
against like the Auburn Tigers building the lead they did before the mistakes happened. Uh, you, and what they did to the Florida Gators earlier in that season, basically draw, uh, driving Urban Meyer from the conference. Yes, they drove Urban Meyer from the SEC because they whipped his ass so many times he couldn't deal with it. He can talk about the pressure of the program and blah, 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 blah. But the bottom line is Urban Meyer was driven from the SEC because Nick Saban whipped his ass repeatedly. He'll never admit it, but everybody knows it. Well, I mean, he, he did get knocked away by the pressure. The pressure of this 800-pound gorilla that That he Alabama. couldn't handle because <laughs> Nick Saban could and he couldn't, yeah. period. End I mean, of story. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't disagree at all. I think Nick, Nick Saban has, uh, has done more for the Southeastern Conference over the past 10 years between his time at LSU and his time at Alabama than anybody not named Bear Bryant with the – integration thing well quite here, frankly here's the thing with urban meyer this is the difference between urban meyer and nick saban urban meyer won a national championship beat nick saban in the playoffs much like he did in 2008 uh, in the sec championship game he went on to win another national championship but in 2009 they had the best team quote unquote and they couldn't finish and alabama took them out now alabama didn't take them out last year but michigan state did but what did alabama do to michigan state well, thirty-eight to nothing. And, and okay. need we need I need we forget that the Ohio State Buckeyes team that Urban Meyer had last year was loaded. Was was stupidly loaded. I, I mean, yeah. it's like, the exact same thing. That's what I was talking about. It's the exact same thing. And pardon me for interrupting. No, 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 absolutely. Let me work on but, fish while you finish your point. Absolutely. But what I'm saying is, it was the exact same situation. 2009, the Gators are supposed to repeat and win it again, and Alabama whips their tail. And Alabama starts their dynasty. And then Urban and those guys, they win it a year early, uh, upsetting Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. And then they go on and win the national championship over Oregon. They, they whip them. And then they're the overwhelming favorite the next year, and they can't handle expectations. That's the one thing where Urban Meyer's teams haven't been able to do it. Uh, they haven't been as consistent as Nick Saban's. Uh, I think he's right below Saban as a coach, but I just don't think he's quite as good. He does have, you know, the national championships. He has three national titles. Saban has four, but he has not. He, he could have easily had more. Of course, Nick Saban, with a few breaks, could have had three or four more as well. And really, Coach Saban has admitted he felt like they had the best team several times. And I do think uh, that's the difference, though. I think, you know, he did lose to Meyer a couple times head-to-head, but he's also held his own against Urban, and I think would more times than not. And he really, and again, he, there is no disputing it to me. He did drive him from the Southeastern Conference. I don't think there's any question about that, uh, that, you know, Nick Saban was able to uh, build a monster in Tuscaloosa. And, and uh, Urban Meyer did it, did it at Florida, but he couldn't maintain it. And so when he couldn't maintain it, he had to kind of cut and run. Now, he's re, you know, he's rejuvenated himself at, in, uh, in Buckeye land. In, in, a, in a weaker league in the Big Ten and really should have a two- or three-game season every year to get uh, to the playoff. But let's see if he can, uh, if he can do so. And uh, that's what I'm going to be interested to see. And now we are joined by our third amigo, William Redfish Barger, on the uh, Sunbelt Tents hotline. William, good evening, sir. Drew, how you doing, buddy? Doing good, doing good, man. And we talked a little recruiting coming in and – I know uh, you've been following – you always follow the recruiting closely, and we were talking a little Urban Meyer and Nick Saban and kind of comparing uh, – got to be really the two best coaches in college football, but kind of comparing the differences and 
how Nick Saban has been able to, uh, you know, I know he's a little bit worried about this group and how focused they are due to the summer, but he's always been able to keep his team uh, focused for the most part. I think 2010 was the only time it got away from him a little bit, but even that team was in it in the playoff hunt uh, until late in the season, until the loss to LSU. But, I mean, just uh, talk about Coach Saban and being able to kind of manage expectations. Uh, Urban Meyer, he uh, it's happened twice to Coach Meyer. I mean, 2009, Alabama got them when they were trying to repeat. And then last year, everybody thought they had the best team, but they couldn't beat uh, Michigan State. And Coach Saban wins the national championship. But kind of compare those two because they're always brought up together. Well, you know, I think the only really difference between the two right now is is that, you know, Coach Saban has proven to be a, a much better, um, you know, program manager than, than Urban has. You know, if you just look at, you know, his experience in the SEC and what he's done at, at Ohio State. Now, I do think that they are both um, the two best program builders in college football. They're, they're elite recruiters. Um, you know, nine times out of ten, they get their evaluations right. Um, they recruit an elite level. Um, you know, but, you know, I think you saw at Florida, um, you know, Urban lose a little bit of control there, and, and the inmates kind of took over the asylum. And I think you saw a little bit of that this past year with, with what happened at Ohio State. You know, they had stockpiled all that elite talent, and, uh, you know, Joey Boza kind of went off the reservation. You saw the, you know, the tweets on Twitter from Ezekiel Elliott post the Michigan State loss, you know, questioning how many times that, you know, that they gave him um, the ball. And I, I do think that losing Tom Herman, uh, you know, was a huge blow to Urban. And I think maybe that's the, the difference between the two, Drew, is if you look at what Urban did at Florida, um, once he lost Dan Mullen, uh, things started to go south for him. Um, you know, things went south last year after he lost Tom Herman. Obviously, they weren't the same team offensively that they were the year before when they knocked off Alabama. And I think that's kind of what maybe separates Nick Saban a little bit. You know, he's not a quarterback-dependent head coach. You know, they're going to beat you on both sides of the line of scrimmage. That um, they're going to be a, a program that you know can survive and, and win at a high level with a quote unquote game manager at quarterback. Uh, but you know, don't 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 think that all the stuff that I'm saying is you know I'm, I'm ding an Urban Meyer. I think he is easily the second best head coach in college football right now. I'm not named Nick Saban, but going back to that 2010 season. Um, you know, that you were talking about, I think you have to kind of, you know, talk about all the things that were in play there. You know, the summer before, um, you know, you had the, the quote-unquote, you know, fishing trip uh, that Mark Ingram and Julio Jones got dinged on. Uh, Marcel Darius had to serve a suspension for an agent party that he went to in Miami. And I think that was kind of – a little bit of the program getting away, um, you know, from Nick. You know, he had built that thing up so quickly with so many elite players, and that's a tough thing to manage. Um, you know, you've got a, a guy like Trent Richardson that was, you know, the number two running back behind the reigning Heisman Trophy winner in Mark Ingram. Um, you, you had a franchise defensive tackle in Marcel Darius that probably got caught up a little bit. 
uh, into the agent game and who could do what for him when, um, you know, with those agent parties. Uh, there were a lot of injuries on that team. Um, I'll go to my grave thinking that maybe it would have been a better idea to insert A.J. McCarron into that lineup at quarterback versus Greg McElroy. Um, so there were a lot of different things in play. Uh, I'm not somebody that's going to, you know, go into detail. And, uh, you know, Stephen Garcia played out of his mind at South Carolina. And, you know, I, I, just, think, I just think that things got a little bit, um, out of kilter and unmanageable for Nick in 2010. But since that time, um, maybe the only other season that you could point, you know, at that would have been the, the latter stages of the 2013 season, you know, with the kick six at Auburn and, you know, obviously the the poor performance versus Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl. But, um, you know, well, what, what Nick Saban has, has managed to do um, not only at Alabama, and I think this is a great stat to pull out, if you go all the way back to 2000 when he was the head coach at LSU and, and fast forward to, you know, we're going into the 2016 season at Alabama, every recruiting class that he has personally recruited at LSU and Alabama has won at least one national championship. And in this modern era of college football where things are so competitive, um, you know, anybody can knock anybody off on any given weekend. I think that's an incredible stat. And I agree, William. There's no doubt about it. And now to kind of shift gears back to recruiting, and, and of course we're going to talk to Benji Mahan, the uh, offensive coordinator and O-line coach at Fayetteville High School, the Bulldogs. And Fayetteville, Arkansas, in about nine minutes here. Uh, and we know that Alabama picked up Akeel Byers, uh, after he returned with his mother to uh, Alabama uh, for the second time. He also was uh, was at camp in June and really impressed a lot of people. Uh, he's uh, the second defensive line commitment, though. As we've said earlier in the show, Aaron Sterling looks shaky at best uh, to stay in this class. But, you know, from all the buzz we're hearing, William, with this, uh, the, this camp winding down, the D-line camp coming up this uh, on July the 23rd, uh, on this Saturday, this one-day defensive line camp, and then OLDL camp, I should say. And then uh, with this cookout, uh, Isaiah Wilson from Brooklyn, New York, is going to stay uh, from today until Sunday. Looks like Alabama could pick up a few more commitments in a short period of time. Yeah, and I think if you look at the ones that are scheduled, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the, the nickelback from up there in Huntsville where you live, Drew, is, is – supposed to commit tomorrow or go public tomorrow. I'm talking about Tyreek McDonald. Yeah. Um, you know, Alabama has, has pulled, and, and you know, I think Jeremy Pritt deserves all the credit with this. Um, you know, they they flipped a guy that's been a private commitment to Georgia for six months, and Jacoby Stevens, the five-star, you know, athlete from Nashville. And, I, you know, if he keeps to the schedule that he was originally supposed to announce with, um, he's supposed to go public on July the 25th. So take mm-hmm. those two guys out of the equation. There's two pretty good players. On August the 1st, they're supposed to get Henry Ruggs. On August the 2nd, they're supposed to get Kendall Randolph, the offensive lineman from Huntsville. And then on August the 15th, they're supposed to get Devonta Smith, who's the number one player in the state of Louisiana. And then, um, you know, I, when, when Thomas called me a few minutes ago, I was talking to uh, – you know, a source of mine that's a national recruiting guy uh, for 247. 
and you know this is a school he covers a school that is actually involved pretty heavily with with a five you know the five star offensive lineman Isaiah Wilson, mm-hmm. and in his opinion right now, um, worst case scenario he feels like look if National Signing Day was tomorrow, Isaiah Wilson would go to Alabama. Um, we mm-hmm. feel like he's a private commitment to Alabama before he ever even showed back up to the cookout. And then, wow. of course, you've got people, uh, you know, whispering under their breath that, you know, Alabama's made a strong move with the five-star defensive end outside linebacker from Washington, D.C., you know, Chase Young. So a lot of stuff in play right now, Drew, with recruiting. Yeah, and I think you can uh, thank uh, a couple of elite guys uh, uh, that have joined the staff, uh, and uh, Jeremy Pruitt and Derek Ansley, who I think are outstanding recruiters. And I think this is what Nick Saban's plan was all along. He wanted to give the staff more juice on the trail, and he didn't like the way they finished last year. And so they're kind of out, uh, you know, after it with a vengeance. But before we bring on Coach Mahan, uh, Talk about Jacoby Stevens because if people have been paying attention, you know, this tide started to turn, uh, no pun intended, back in June. He took his first visit, and uh, as you said, had really Georgia had been the heavy favorite. But right after that, you could tell something had changed. Now, uh, I know they had a satellite camp just several days ago, and we saw Jeremy Pruitt, Lane Kiffin, Mike Loxley, an offensive analyst, and Derek Ansley all show up for it. And now he's coming back for the cookout this weekend. Uh, just kind of talk about Stevens and what kind of player he is. Just from people that uh, you know, I trust. He's. Uh, de- I think I've been uh, telling a, a good friend of ours, Rodney Orr, that he was one of the be- best safeties in the, in America. I know people consider him an athlete, but uh, just what kind of player do you think Jacoby Stevens is? Well, you know, on the surface, you know, I want to say this. Uh, number one, I don't think he's a five star. Uh, number okay. two, I don't I don't think he's the number one player in Tennessee. I think Trey Smith is. So I do think he's been a little bit overrated by the, the recruiting analysts. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't think he can't be a uh you know, an elite player at safety down the road. But, you know, the thing that bothered me on the surface, uh, you know, with Alabama's interest level is, you know, there was a you know, a little bit of a, you know, flip-flopping going on back in June, whether or not, you know, Alabama was going to take him as a safety or a wide receiver. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think he would make the cut in this class when you look at Alabama's recruiting board at wide receiver. But, you know, I've watched his film. I've talked to some people that, you know, are pretty good at this stuff. And, uh, you know, Jeremy Pruitt's going to take him as as a safety. So that makes me feel better about that. Um, you know, he's got a lot of length. You know, he's six one and some change. Um, you know, a four five guy, you know, that can kind of, you know, roam around back there and make plays, be a ball hawk guy. And, you know, I think he's an important component to this class. You know, two weeks ago, Drew, um, Alabama fans were in a meltdown because they thought that, you know, they were losing the McKinney kid, uh, you know, from the state of Georgia and, you know, there was a big reason for that. Uh, you know, Jeremy Pruitt was clearing space on, on the depth chart to, you know, make that final run for Jacoby Stevens. And, yeah, uh, you know, exactly. that's, that's, you know, they upgraded that spot. Yeah, and then uh, as Thomas and I talked about before you came on, there may be a couple more uh, uh, instances of that happening in Jeremy Pruitt's eyes and the coaching staff with a couple other kids that are committed right now. 
uh, to Alabama but could end up elsewhere. Well, and I think, you know, this is a good story to tell, um, you know, about what, in my opinion, how, how Alabama has upgraded um, with not only having Jeremy Pruitt as their defensive coordinator but having him as an evaluator. Um, this goes all the way back to 2012. Um, you know, I was having a conversation with him, and, you know, he was, you know, this actually was one of the main reasons, I think, that he decided to leave and pursue, uh, you know, being a defensive coordinator, you know, away from the, the Nick Saban, Kirby Smart coaching tree. And it was over Cyrus Jones. And he did not want to take Cyrus Jones. Um, he thought he was too short. Um, you know, he told Nick and Kirby, if y'all want to coach him, you can. I'm not going to. But if it was up to me, I'd put him at slot wide receiver. It's too short. So fast forward back to May of 2016, and, you know, I thought I had a, an opportunity to troll, you know, my buddy Jeremy Pruitt. And I said, well, you know, maybe maybe you, uh, maybe you weren't right about that Cyrus Jones evaluation. He just got drafted pretty high in the NFL. Uh, you still feel that same – Hang on one second. Sorry. I've got my window down and the uh, mosquito spraying truck just went by. Um, <laughs> so, you know, do you, still, do you still feel the same way? And, you know, you have to remember a year later, you know, two guys that Jeremy Pruitt did want to take, uh, one being Jalen Ramsey, the other one being Nate Andrews. And, you know, Nick and Kirby said no. And, you know, obviously both of those guys went on to have – wild success at Florida State. And, you know, Jeremy played them early and often as true freshmen, and they were, you know, big contributors, you know, to that 2013 national championship they, that they won. So I was I was kind of trying to dig him a little bit about being so, you know, anti-Cyrus Jones. And, uh, hmm. you know, I thought his response was classic Jeremy Pruitt. He said, oh, I'm not going to use the word that he said, but he said, man, you know, do you want that damn five foot ten midget that got drafted in the second round, or do you want my guy Jalen that went top ten? Yeah, and I think, you can say I think that. that's that. That's kind of what Alabama fans have to look for. Um, you know, I, I do think because he is a he kind of comes from the the Jimmy Johnson Butch Davis school of thought of speed will kill size if you have enough of it. Um, there, there is a, a thought in the back of my mind that, you know, maybe Alabama won't be the number one rushing defense going forward um, with him at the helm. But, what, what, what you know, and then you have to look at that and say, well, look at the schedule this year. I mean, you know, maybe USC, uh, Arkansas, LSU, you know, obviously who knows what Gus is going to do. But I think Jeremy's already proven himself about what he can do versus Gus. But what what it does say is this is somebody that values height and length at every spot from the defensive line to the linebackers, you know, the DBs. Um, He subscribes to, you know, the speed kills philosophy of of evaluating high school football prospects and taking them to the next level. And I think it's going to be fun to watch because, you know, that's where the college football game has evolved to right now. It really has. And speaking of evolving and uh, transitioning, we're honored to be joined on the Sunbelt 10 hotline by our first guest of the program, William. And uh, he's going into, I believe, his third season at Fayetteville High School for the Bulldogs. And uh, 
uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, and that is the offensive coordinator and offensive line coach, Benji Mahan. Coach Mahan, welcome uh, to BAMS Radio with William Redfish Barger and myself, Drudy Armand, and Thomas Watts. It's an honor to have you. Well, thank you. It's uh, it's a bigger honor for me to be on here. I appreciate you uh, opening up a spot for me. Yes, sir. No problem. And I wanted to start off by letting our listeners know who may not know a lot about your background. Uh, I was uh, just marveling, really, at your high school's website. Uh, you know, I've, I'm, I follow high school football closely, but it's right. obvious that they take it very seriously at Fayetteville High School. That's as, as sophisticated a website as I've seen. And you guys, of course, win, win another state championship this past fall. But kind of talk about the program that's been built there in Fayetteville. Okay, well, Fayetteville, it's kind of ironic that we're we're talking here on the Alabama radio. Um, it is. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Basically across the street from the University of Arkansas. <laughs> I mean, we can see Bud Walton Arena where the Hogs play basketball from our game field. And uh, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of heritage there, uh, a lot of uh, great relationships, obviously, with the university. But um, in 2007, Fayetteville won its first state championship, and it's uh, we're in the largest classification state of Arkansas. And and for those that don't know about high school football in Arkansas, it's pretty good. Uh, we don't necessarily produce the amount of Division One players that maybe the state of Alabama and Georgia do, but we've got some really really good high school football. It's a it's a priority in our state and it's a priority in our school. And um, Fayetteville won its first state championship 2007. And since then, we have won, uh, I guess we've been in the state championship game four out of the last five years, and we've won three out of the last five years. And, and Coach, I know it's been a great for you to be a part of the program, and uh, and, uh, and I know uh, you, uh, you're the, now the uh, offensive line coach and offensive coordinator, but you have a special player on the other side of the football in Akil Byers, who is now committed to the University of Alabama, and uh, kind of... I guess uh, for our listeners, kind of talk about him. And uh, from what I understand from just doing a little research, he's really not been a defensive lineman all that but for all that long, and he's really just starting to blossom as a player. Yeah, when when he was in junior high, eighth and ninth grade, he was you know he's a tight end type kid. He's the biggest kid on the team, and you know they they always in junior high they they always want to try to go get the ball and and want to play those kind of spots, but. When he arrived on campus in 10th grade, um, he, he went through some growing pains like a lot of sophomores do. You know, there's a lot of distractions when you first get to high school, and, and football maybe wasn't his top priority. And, uh, you know, he played some JV games and some sophomore games, and and uh, something clicked last summer about this time. And uh, going into his junior year, you know, obviously we were counting on him. He looked like a, an animal. We want to make sure that uh, he didn't get all of his coaches fired. You don't want a guy like that standing on the sideline, you know. But um, the light clicked on, and, and he had a, a really, really good junior season. And uh, after his junior season, we had college coaches calling in, Alabama being one of them. They said we flipped, flipped on his highlight film, and after three plays, we knew, hey, we got to have this guy. And he's 6'3", he's 280, 285, and he really hasn't lifted all that much weight. I mean, he he's been uh, throwing the shot put in, in the off season for the track team, and you know this and that. I can only imagine when he gets to Alabama and he gets in the in a nutrition program and strength condition program, just what his body's going to look like. Um, you know, it, it just after his freshman year, it's going to be amazing. <laughs> 
Coach, this is uh, this is Will, and, and just so you know who I am, I'm a I'm a former okay. uh, broken down uh, Alabama offensive lineman from the the early nineties. Okay, and, what uh, what years was this? I was there from '89 to '93. Well, you had a pretty good run then. I can't complain. But the, the thing, <laughs> I, the, I the played thing, in Arkansas from '94 to '98, so we didn't get to. Uh, we just missed path, each so we other. Close. Yeah, That's yeah, right. we just missed each other. As a matter of fact, in '92, uh, uh, the, the year that we won the national championship, uh-huh. uh, your, your your state governor at that time, uh, Slick Willie Clinton. Uh, did, did the coin did, did the coin toss for our game versus Arkansas um, in Little Rock? Um, and then of course he didn't help us out like he's you know still not helping us out. Well, but, but let me say this though, um, you know, being a former offensive lineman, you know, it's, it's real easy for me to see uh, characteristics and defensive linemen that that I really wouldn't want to have to deal with, even though it was 20 years ago, just like it is for you now, unfortunately. Right. Um, you know, we're all getting a little long in the tooth. But, you know, when I first saw uh, Mr. Byers about six months ago and I was watching his film, number one, um, he's a quick twitch guy, yeah. um, which, which I think, you know, you're going to see Alabama starting to – uh, migrate more too. I think you know now with Jeremy Pruitt being the defensive coordinator, I think you're going to see a change in the philosophy of them going from being a you know a two gap defense to you know more of a you know a, a, a Jimmy Johnson Butch Davis type of defense. And when I first Absolutely. watched that young man's film, um, explosive hands, explosive hips, can change direction. Um, and, and you know, I, I, the the next thing I did was I you know I went to uh, you know the two four seven database and I noticed uh, he's one of the top players in the state of Arkansas, uh, but he didn't have an offer from Arkansas, being right there across the street from Fayetteville. Um, can you tell me? My guess is is because of what his initial academic situation was portrayed right. as. But well, why have they not offered this young man? That's an interesting question, and uh, go back to some of his characteristics. Um, I, I, Larry Johnson, who's a defensive line coach at Ohio State, he came to spring ball and he sat up there in the bleachers and he said, within you know three plays, he could he realized just what kind of hips the kid has. You know, he can, he, as like you said, he's got explosive hands, and when he when he drops his hips, he can chase down. Um, running backs and and Alabama talked about putting him at defensive end and that three four and then when they want to bump to a four front they move him down into a three technique and he's going to be a nightmare for some guards in a three technique but uh, as far as Arkansas goes you know the initial deal was it was some great issues that I think they were a little bit hesitant on and they kept giving the reason as you know he's a in-state kid we got to make sure that we're 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 all in on in-state kids and making sure that it's right. But after Alabama and Florida State and South Carolina and Missouri and Ohio State offer, I think he's right, you know. You, you can't miss on what, all the offers that he's been getting. And I don't know why. I don't know if they feel like they dropped the ball, and I, I really don't know. It's been a, It's been confusing to all of us. And, again, they are right across the street from us. And uh, – uh, Rory Segrist, who played at Alabama, his he's he a played with coach. me. He yeah, played he's with a me. Line coach at, at, at Arkansas. His son is on our team, and 
Well, you know, something that bothered me, something that bothered me, Coach, is, you know, once I started doing my due diligence and, you know, how you do that now is, you know, via the Internet, and I saw a lot of, you know, I went over to the, you know, the Arkansas message boards to kind of get some insight, and Mm -hmm. there was, I'll, I'll let you tell the real story about this, but that they kind of portrayed it as it wasn't as great, that there were some character issues there. And from my perspective, you know, anytime somebody sends me film, and, you know, I know you played offensive line in the SEC, so you can watch three plays just like the coaches do at Alabama, just like I can, and say yay or nay. Um, The gold standard for me as a five-technique defensive end or a three-technique defensive tackle at the University of Alabama is a guy by the name of Marcel Darius. And I'm telling you, your boys got those characteristics. So when I started reading this stuff, and I was like, well, you know what? If, if, uh, you know, I like to call him Burt Beluga, but I know his real name is Brett Belima. If he ever wants to take, you know, but if he ever wants to take that program beyond being a seven and five program, he's got to stop schools like Alabama, you know, and I understand that, you know, you know, rest in peace. I know LT Timpenny's not with us anymore, but Alabama's got another guy that's got some quick twitch defensive line ability from the state of Arkansas. He was the number one player there two years ago and Josh Frazier. That's right. and, you know, the, the Byers kid reminds me of, of Josh Frazier when he's in shape, uh, what I saw out of Marcel Darius in high school. So, you know, in your opinion, what was the holdup about, you know, that Arkansas coaching staff, you know, when you've got a kid like that in your own backyard, mm-hmm. you know, why are they so hesitant to pull the trigger? Well, I, I take a little offense, and I, I'm taking up for my 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 our kid here. There's not any character issues. I can promise you that. If there were any character issues, Mama would make sure that was stopped. I mean, she has a, a good thumb on him. Um, you know, if it's grade issues, I, I get that. If that's going to be the excuse, I understand that. There there are some grade problems, and they're still not over, but. They're in line, and when Alabama looks at his transcript and says, "Okay, you know, there's some work here still left to do, but it's not the worst we've ever seen," you know, no, it's not. And and the the work that Billy Napier did uh, on a personal basis, and and here's a wide receivers coach. You know, this is not a D line coach. This is the wide receivers coach putting this much investment and time into getting to know Akil, figuring out his great issues, getting to know mom, getting to know brother, getting to know us as coaches and the relationships they built. Uh, I talked to um, Riley, uh, I think it's Riley Edwards, the compliance guy. The guy's on vacation, and he's he's helping us out. That's the kind of stuff, in my opinion, that separates the Alabamas from everybody else. They're willing to put that time and that effort in here because they know, hey, we've got a special player right here. And we're going to do everything within the rules to make sure that he gets on campus. And that was very impressive to me. Coach, I know Drew's got another question for you, and I'm going to, I'm going to you know, be quiet here in a minute. But, you know, the, the, the funny thing about the whole thing to me was, and, and it goes back to, um, you know, Coach Belima, you know, keeping all that in-state talent home. You know, the state of Arkansas, like you said, you know, there's probably 10 guys on an annual basis. And, you know, right. they all seem to either be focused around Little Rock or Fayetteville on an annual basis to right. support their right. program. 
But, you know, when I got that film sent to me and I saw him, I was like, you know, A, just how bad is his grade situation? And B, this is a guy that has first-round NFL ability uh, that he shows as a junior. You coach him, so you know. Um, It shows it as a junior. I mean, when we talk about the intangibles, the explosive hands, uh, the hips, the change of direction. Um, But, you know – Again, you know, I hate to start banging on, you know, your 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 alma mater, uh, but yeah. you know, he's going to have to figure out a way to to you know keep keep these guys like Akil Byers and and Joshua Frazier and rest in peace mm-hmm. Alfie Tenpenny. He's got to figure out a way to start keeping these guys in state. Yeah, there there's not enough of them to let guys get out. That, that's for sure. And uh, I, I played my senior year for. Houston Nut, and that was one of his main priorities when he got the job. He said, "We're going to build a big wall around the state, make sure we keep we keep our guys." And if you look back at the history of Arkansas, and I'm sure it's the same way with Alabama, when you look back at the history, those really good teams were fully loaded with Arkansas homegrown kids. Now you can't base your whole whole program off of them. There's just not enough. But uh, for sure, the the lines were made of just good. Good tough kids from the state of Arkansas had a lot of pride, and uh, and that I think that goes to you know that's that's the uh, you know Nebraska when they were rolling that that's what they had, and uh, a lot of those in-state colleges and universities that you got to have those guys. And Go ahead, I was going to ask you, you coach, uh, uh, but you mentioned something in in passing that it was very interesting because I've only had a chance to meet him in a couple of social settings. We don't get a chance to see him work. Uh, like he does and like you do behind the scenes when he's at your school. But kind of let the Alabama fans know just uh, the kind of recruiter Billy Napier is and the kind of coach because he also was the lead recruiter for Joshua Frazier and got him out of Arkansas when he was the number one player in that state. And his really over the years, his years at Alabama, uh, you know, won some big-time recruiting battles. But just kind of talk about the kind of person he's been to deal with for you, your, you and your coaching staff and how he went about approaching uh, buyer's recruitment. Well, I, like I said, I, I think the world of Billy, and we, we've we developed a relationship, and it hasn't been very long. I mean, it was probably back April, I guess, is uh, is when our relationship really started, and and it was kind of an interesting deal. He he flew in and and uh, came to visit during spring ball, and and it was I think it was on a Friday, and it was our last day of school for us teachers, and. Of course, they can't they can't see any of the players and and can't visit with them or anything like that during spring recruiting and and so uh, there weren't any students on campus. But as teachers, we were having a faculty luncheon, a catfish luncheon, and I told Billy, I said, "You're more than welcome to sit in here with us if you want." And he got in there with us and and ate some fish, and we just sat around and talked and had a great time. And and then uh, when Akil came in on on uh, when we brought Akil down for for camp. Uh, just the time and the energy that he put in, and uh, he's just uh, he's just got that it factor, I guess. You know, he, he's uh, he's a coach's son, and uh, I think that goes a long way. It's just in his blood, and and not only can he coach great ball on the field, you know, he, he gets the he gets the quality players in there, and it's just those relationships, and just he knows how to deal with people, and that goes a long, long, long way. Well, Coach, talk to me a little bit, especially now that I know that you uh, played uh, uh, O-line in the SEC at Arkansas. 
and I'm giving you my take on on the program from you know from somebody that's here in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I'm I'm very well aware of you know the facilities, uh, you know the buy-in that you have from you know the the Walmart family and the Tyson family. Y'all's facilities um, for for what y'all have done historically are world class. What what do you think it's going to take for you know, whether the current head coach or somebody else. Um, and, again, I think what Houston Nutt did up there was, was magical. But what do you think is the difference between, you know, you know, a school like you guys that have, uh, you know, the facilities, you have the infrastructure, um, you know, you may or may not have the right guys, the head coach. But what do you see on the high school level that separates maybe the – Alabama's from the Arkansas. Sure. You know, sometimes we get locked into just us and we don't see what else is out there. And I had the wonderful opportunity to go to Alabama uh, for three days. I brought a kill down there for camp and, you know, got to be in the, the guts of the whole organization and the program. And then about three days later, I turned around and I, I get to go to Ohio State and do the same thing. I took a kill to Ohio State to a camp. And you're talking about two successful coaches, leaders of their program, Nick Saban, Urban Meyer. And I was interested in saying, okay, I see how Coach Saban's done it for three days. Is it going to be any different with Urban Meyer? And it's what's interesting is it's two ends of the spectrum of how things are done. And, uh, you know, Nick Saban, you obviously know he's in, in charge. Um, he's got his thumbprint on everything. Uh, everything's business from 8 o'clock to, you know, 5 o'clock, however long that they're there, it, it's business. You go to Ohio State and there was music playing at practice and, and Coach Meyer just walked right up to me and talked to me like we were old friends and it's more relaxed atmosphere. But the bottom line, both programs are winning. The thing that I saw that was different and common in both those programs that I haven't seen in other programs was player development. From the moment that they get on campus, obviously both both programs are recruiting some fantastic athletes. There's no doubt about that. But other programs are doing the same. From the moment they get on campus to the moment they leave campus, the development of those young men, it, it was unbelievable. They're preparing them for life. Um, preparing them, you know, hopefully for the NFL, but they're also preparing those guys for life maybe that's not in the NFL. And that's right. what I saw from nutrition to strength that, you know, everybody's doing that stuff. But they're teaching those guys how to become men. And uh, I just saw a maturity level that uh, maybe I hadn't seen in other programs. And and that was what was really, really impressive to me. Wow. Great answer, Coach. Yeah, that was awesome, Coach. Really great perspective. Because we don't get a chance to see the camp, uh, the way the camps are run behind right. the curtain like you do with Nick Saban and, and Urban Meyer. It's kind of ironic, before you came on the show, we were talking about the comparing Urban Meyer and Nick Saban, who we think are the two best coaches uh, in college yeah. football, but to go back to Akil, 
just kind of talk about uh, the t- what what he thought of Alabama's camp. I know he really put on a dominant performance in June. That's when we really started hearing a, a, a lot about him and that uh, he had surged uh, to uh, to uh, someone that Alabama was, was really targeting on the defensive line because this is an important year. They've got to sign four or five, really five good defensive linemen. But kind of talk about the the, uh, the camp experience for Akil and the feedback you got from him and also – what he thinks of Carl Dunbar, the new defensive line okay. coach. Yeah, when uh, when he got on campus, um, he asked me, he said, Coach, you think they're going to want me to go through camp? And I said, well, I think you ought to at least look at going at least one session. I said, it'd give you a good opportunity to see what it's like being coached by Coach Dunbar, you know, give you an idea before you, before you commit one way or another. And uh, he's like, oh, okay. But I really didn't know if he was really into it. And uh, so we get down there, and, and uh, I guess he was going to go through the afternoon session. That's kind of what they'd planned. And and uh, we had to get him a helmet and cleats and all that. And and Coach Napier looked at him and says, I want you to empty your gas tank in this next two hours or whatever it was. And it's like you can see it in the kill's eyes like, well, all right, this is kind of camp, but I need to get after it. And he busted his tail. And Coach Dunbar pushed him and pushed him, and Akil, you know, he he responded and answered and and just did a wonderful job. And I think that showed Alabama, hey, this guy is for real, and he's willing to do this. And Coach Dunbar and Billy Napier, they were saying, they were naming off guys that were first, second-round draft picks that had come through camp, and they said they got in here and they got after it. And look at the result of where they're at. And I think that was an impression on a keel, like, okay, I just did that. Maybe my future is is that as well. So, um, you know, that was a that was a good opportunity for him. He's developed a great relationship with Coach Dunbar. What a great man! Um, and that's what we were really looking for is is a place for a keel to go where he's got that positive male influence. And obviously, Coach Dunbar, Coach Napier, uh, those are the guys. Interesting story. <clears throat> I think the world of the guys from Ohio State, they did a wonderful job. But we were in the rental car pulling out of the parking lot at Ohio State, and I, I stopped the car and I said, all right, Akil, five minutes out. Who are you choosing? He said, Alabama. I said, why? <laughs> he, said, he said, Coach Dunbar, Coach Napier. I said, that's fair enough. Let's go. Let's get on the plane. <clears throat> you know? And so those two guys made such an impression that, it trumps what Ohio State had done. And I'm telling you what, Ohio State put on a great show. I mean, they did a wonderful job. I mean, I was ready to go. And, you know, obviously I can't play anymore. But um, that that just shows me what, what Coach Napier and Coach Dunbar mean to uh, Keel Byers. Well, Coach, let me ask you this. Obviously you played in the SEC. Um, you know, you, you're you a successful coach at the high school level. Um Give us some insight as to what, what separates Alabama. I mean, you, I know you touched on it a minute ago, and you said, mm-hmm. you know, this is Alabama versus Ohio State right now. And sure. you know, obviously they're probably, you know, the two top football programs in the country. But right. as a former offensive lineman in the SEC, what separates Alabama from the rest of the crowd? Well, first of all, you people are nuts. I mean, yes, we are hosting host a radio show. I'm sure you get you get all the all the nuts that sure. are down there. I mean, y- y'all, it, it's it's 
win or or your your whole life is ruined. Uh, I, right. I, you know, people go to those games and they don't really like their job. You know, their family situation is just not great. You know, maybe their truck isn't the truck that they really want to drive, so they're miserable. Right. But it's Saturday <laughs> afternoon and the and the tide are going to win. And when they don't, I mean, really, their whole life is ruined. You know, uh, but I will say this. And, and it, it goes back, and it, I hate to say that it all goes back to one man, but obviously it goes back to, to Coach Bryant. When you walk into that facility, the tradition that it, it just it's just flood. I mean, it just it hits you like a wave. There's there's one window in there where they have all the national championships, and it it's they're all the helmets, and it's got the year that they've won, you know, the number on the side of the helmet, the Alabama helmet. And there's what sixteen of them. I mean that that's yeah. crazy. You know Arkansas has one, and it's kind of a fictitious one because you go into Alabama. Well, there's 1964 for Alabama. They're claiming it, and Arkansas is claiming the 64. So who's really got it? It doesn't matter. Alabama would probably give one away, and they'd still have 15. You know, it's no big deal. That to me is what separates it. When Akil sat down to uh, one of the lunch, one day for lunch, we sat down there, and and two guys just randomly, sure, randomly just sat down next to him. Both of them played in the NFL, and they were defensive linemen. And they just sat down there and they just talked to Akil and told him about his, if you come to Alabama, you know, this is what you got. If you come to Alabama, this is what you got. You go over to the academic side, and all the academic people, they each have a job, and they communicate and get along with all the football people. You go into the middle of campus, and there's that sidewalk where the captains put their their what their hands and their cleat marks or whatever. Yes, sir. Baseball's not doing that. Basketball's not doing that. Only football's doing that, right? And yep. that's in the middle of the campus. So obviously the priority at the University of Alabama is football and the people and that to me is what it is. It's the priority, it's the tra- tra- tradition. And um, that that's what separates them from, from others. And then, Coach, then we're going to wrap it up here in a couple of minutes, and we thank you for your time uh, tonight. It's been an outstanding conversation. But I know you have high expectations uh, at Fayetteville High School, and obviously Akil is going to be one of the leaders on your football team. I know you've talked with sure. him about this. What is he working on? How is what is, what is his goals? I know, obviously, he wants his, the team to be successful, but what's he working sure. on to get better for his final season? Well, he, he's got a new defensive line coach um, coming up this fall. So building a relationship with, with that guy is going to be, uh, you know, vitally important. Um, you know, he, he's he's got parts of his game that obviously he's got to get better at, and and I don't know what those are. I mean, as an offensive lineman, I hate – or an offensive line coach, I hate uh, my guys having to go up against him every day. But uh, – <laughs> I'm sure there are parts of it, and and Coach Rutledge, his new defensive line coach, the, you know, he's going to find those things and really tweak those things, and and uh, you know, he's got to he's obviously got to get stronger and in the weight room and and get prepared for you know what's coming, you know, his freshman season at Alabama, and and uh, he's going to continue to have to work on those grades. You know, he's not he's not through the woods yet, but there's definitely a light at the end of the tunnel, and he's got to stay focused on that and and get that GPA up a little bit and get that test score up a little bit. So those are things he's going to have a busy senior year, but 
the the reason that we really wanted him to go ahead and commit before football season is now Alabama has an even bigger investment into him, and they're going to be on top of him with his with his schoolwork. They're going to be on top of him and in his uh, game preparation and all that. And now it's just a bigger army that's that's pushing and pulling to kill buyers. Well, that's great stuff, Coach, and it's been an outstanding conversation. We thank you for taking about 30 minutes tonight to join us. I know you're in preparation for the, for this cup, upcoming season and, of course, have helped the kill greatly along the trail, taking him to a lot of these universities and helping him better himself. And that's what it's all about in coaching is teaching and helping young men reach their goals. And uh, thank you for uh, joining us. It's been a pleasure to have you uh, on uh, BAM's radio tonight, Coach. Well, thank you. Call me anytime, uh, you know, and uh, I'd love to be on again. It, it, it was a lot of fun, and, and y'all are doing some fine work. And, Hopefully our paths cross again one day. Thank you. Well, thank you, Coach. You have a great night. You yes. And that is Coach Benji Mahan of Fayetteville, Arkansas. He's done an outstanding job. Uh, and uh, what a great uh, conversation that was tonight, uh, Thomas Watts. Oh, absolutely. And we still do have fish. So, uh, Fish, what do you think? I have to ask, just straight up. Man, I'm going to tell you something. That, that was one of the best high school football coaches I've ever seen. Uh, talking about his players, great stuff. Well, yeah, what? I, ha- I have to tell you, sorry, Drew. Yeah, uh, go ahead, Thomas. That as as the conversation's going on, <laughs> I, I say to Drew in our little back chat through Skype up with uh, character issues. Mom is going to solve that. I w- I had to mute my mic because I was laughing so hard. <laughs> 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 Great stuff, and it, William. It sounds like much like BJ Emmons that uh, Fayetteville has a plan for a kill. No, absolutely they do, and, and I think that you know Alabama got a hold of his transcript, and you know when they first got it, it was you know it didn't look good, but they got it, and you know it, it's not that bad. There's a chance for uh, it to get better, and you know. Let's just wait and see before we, you know, before we all, you know, the, the thing that I, I I have a problem with Alabama fans is they want to say, hey, this kid has no chance to qualify. Right. But they all do. Yeah, they really do. You can't ever give up. Bo Scarborough got in school, though I know he had to wait six months. Uh, we've seen B.J. Emmons get in school. We've seen – uh, Calvin Ridley, you name it. Uh, there's been a lot of guys that have come a long way in a year uh, to uh, uh, to make their grades and academics and get in school. But William, we appreciate the time with you tonight. Uh, we uh, really uh, we thank you for always joining us on Bams Radio. And I know uh, the uh, the fans and then the listeners really enjoyed your insight into Coach Saban and Urban Meyer, a little bit of the recruiting, and of course our conversation with Coach Mahan. Thank you, Drew. Appreciate it. That's William Redfish Barger. Now, Thomas Watts and I are going to take our five-minute break here, everybody, before we come back. And then Thomas is going to take the floor and give us his take. I know it's it's still kind of related to the SEC because we've got some conference expansion that looks like it's going to be going on with the Big 12, who's a little late to the party, but finally going to join and become a what they call, I guess, a Power 5 league with a championship game and 14 teams. But stay with us. Coming back in about five minutes.
down on my way in North Carolina Staring up the road and pray to God I see headlights Made it down the coast in 17 hours Picking me a bouquet of dogwood flowers And I'm hoping for rally I can see my baby tonight
Welcome back to BAMS Radio. We're going to start our second hour of crazy Alabama content. I'm Thomas Watts, the wizard behind the curtain, but occasional speaker. Drew lets me out of the cage on occasion. It's nice. And uh, if you missed the first hour, I have to highly recommend you go and check out the podcast. We had Benji Mahan from Fayetteville, Arkansas, talking about Akeel Byers, recent Alabama commit, and uh, had some, some interesting nuggets. Had some interesting parallels, drew some interesting parallels between the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Alabama Crimson Tide. I mean, it was it was a far-reaching conversation, but it was an excellent conversation. And uh, Drew, we can only hope that the uh, second hour, where we've got Chris Kirchner with us at around eight thirty, matches up to what we heard from the first hour because that was excellent stuff. Yeah, it'll be some more recruiting with Chris Kirchner and. He's with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's SEC country. I've had him on my show talking ball a couple of times. and We tried to hook up with him at the opening, but that was a circus. And he had a lot of responsibilities there. Uh, and we couldn't quite hook up with him to get his take on that. We'll probably talk with him a little bit about that tonight and kind of where this uh, recruiting class is going. We already kind of talked about it, you and I, at the beginning of the program in hour number one. And then with William Barger. But he gets a chance to talk to a lot of these kids one-on-one and we'll get Chris's take on what could be developing in recruiting in about 20 minutes, Thomas. And uh, I've been exchanging some texts with Coach Mahan. I think he really enjoyed the conversation and being on with us. And he did want to clarify one thing. He uh, he did not play offensive line at Arkansas. He was a long snapper. Uh, but as he said, it was his one shot at playing SEC football. And like I told him, Coach, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I'm a, a good friend of mine, uh, uh, Butch Paris, who – I've known him for about 20 years. His son, Ryan, as you know, is a redshirt freshman now and, and uh, got a ring last year as a backup long snapper. Uh, and uh, is uh, and it was one of the best in uh, high school football his senior season at James Clemens High School and uh, was one of the – really the, the second uh, young man to go to an SEC school along with Logan Steenberg, another classmate of his who signed with Kentucky as an offensive lineman. But they were the first two from that program – to go to SEC schools, he turned down some scholarships, uh, including uh, uh, to South Alabama uh, to come to the University of Alabama. And so he's a, he's a great young guy. He's overcoming an, an, an eye disorder where he kind of had a, uh, a parasite in his eye. And so he's really had to overcome a lot. But he hopes to be able to uh, replace Cole Mazza next year. I know they're bringing in Thomas Fletcher, but Ryan's going to compete. And uh, who knows? Like I say, when you're on the team and you get a ring, that's all that matters. Oh, absolutely. And uh, at, at worst, he's got a hell of a story from his freshman season. You know, and that, that's, that's a good spot to be in, if you ask me. Oh, yeah, I've already seen the rings. They're very nice. And Butch is a great guy. His grandfather, Bruce Paris, is another close friend of mine, one of the reasons I'm in uh, the radio business. And I uh, just really enjoy uh, their family. And Ryan, I've known him since he was born. He's come a long way. It's hard to believe he's already in college and, at the University of Alabama, and when you can, you know, be on, the, whether you're a scholarship athlete or not, if you can make the team, uh, that's significant when it's the best program in the country, and, and Alabama is right now. I don't think there's any question about that. But, Thomas, I wanted to kind of give you the floor. Uh, you know, I got a chance to speak uh, briefly today for about seven or eight minutes with Chip Brown of Horns Digest, part of the Scout.com network on my show, Talking Ball. And one of the big topic is this, uh, topic of this week is uh, conference expansion. Looks like the Big 12 is going to wake up and smell the coffee and finally uh, 
go back to a championship game, uh, go back to what looks to be a 14-team league. And what Chip told me today was, and you and I talked about it off the air a little bit, there's been a lot of pressure uh, from uh, the governor and from, of course, uh, a lot of politicians and powerful people in the state of Texas. Of course, a lot of the, the president of Houston looks like Houston is making a huge push to try to be in the Big 12, and it makes a lot of sense, especially geographically. But it looks like the other two teams that are emerging are BYU uh, because of their tradition and, of course, the large Mormon population and their alumni base. And then, of course, uh, Cincinnati, and that's ironic because who's the head coach there? Tommy Tuberville. Cincinnati looking like they have a strong case to be in the Big 12. And then it would lead to uh, a kind of a free-for-all for the fourth team. But kind of give us your take on a conference expansion and where the Big 12 is. Well, if you, you know, let's go back a little bit. If you remember when the first rush of conference expansion happened, the Big 12 was kind of left holding the bag. They had to give Texas the Longhorn Network, which has been as divisive a thing as you can have in college athletics. And it's just been, it's been kind of, if there, there were power five leagues, but the Big 12 was kind of the odd man out, kind of the one that you weren't real sure what to do with. But this was coming, this had to happen. To me, it had to happen for one specific reason, and that is money, particularly as it relates to the college football arms race. Let's be real here. Look at Alabama's budgets. Look at what Alabama has built in terms of athletic facilities over the past, let's, buy, let's bound it by 24 months. Brand new baseball stadium. There's a new Nick Saban Uber weight room coming. Um, there's been a push to tear down Coleman Coliseum, for pity's sake, and build something brand new and beautiful and nice. And those aren't bad things. But the reality of the situation is, if you want to compete at the highest level, you really need two things. You need an extraordinarily established brand and or a ton of money. You know, Oregon's probably the exception to that because they have Nike money and they don't really have a ton of established brand, particularly down in the South. I mean, it, it's geographically, it makes sense as to why that is. But, you know, look, look at the ones that look at the teams that are the best right now in college football. It's almost exclusively traditional powers. Yeah, you have an occasional interloper that comes in and has a great season, but then that coach, that head coach gets snapped up by a bigger a team that's willing to have a, pay a bigger check to the coach, and he'll move on. Well, in that environment, if you're not able to match, you know, go shot for shot with the SEC and shot for shot with the Big Ten money-wise, you're not going to win. It's just, it's not, and if we, it's not a when we, if we can win, it's when we lose. So I'm not real surprised about the move. It had to happen or the Big 12 would cease to exist. And th there's a lot of dynamics in play here because the opposite that would have happened to the Big 12 is Texas goes to the Big 10 and probably, you know, pick a program to go with them. And then Oklahoma, Oklahoma State come to the SEC. That was one of the that was one of the other floated scenarios that would completely destroy the Big Twelve. It would be what the Big Six at that point, and sure they'd pick up some some programs off the scrap heap, but they'd almost never be relevant in football. And basketball, they'd occasionally be all right, but they just wouldn't do anything. So I saw it as a foregone conclusion. 
in terms of why it happened. Now, what does it really mean? Well, it's almost like the musical chairs that was expansion has it hasn't it's just it was stopped now everyone's back up and they want to find a good chair now what is a good chair in this case are we looking at super conferences are we looking at the 16 team super conferences now backed up by the success of the college football playoff doing some kind of internal tournament you know I, I, there, there have been a lot of discussions about how to handle that and change the college football season, but that's now back in play. And I don't really know how it's going to change things, but it's really just a money grab. And it's a necessary money grab if anyone not named Texas and Oklahoma even wants to hope to compete in the long term with the rest of the college football world, quite frankly. The rest. You know, Gary Patterson deserves all the credit in the world for TCU. And I think given the fact that, like, the University of Texas is president and the Texas governor said Houston would be a fantastic fit in the Big 12, means Houston's coming. You know, that those are all good things. But, you know, what I want to see, what I'm interested in seeing is how much money are these are these programs getting? Like, are they going to give back some of the Big 10, the Big, excuse me, the Big 12 TV revenue deal to get in? Are they essentially paying a fee to stay in to enrich the ones already there. There's a lot of dynamics in play and a lot of stuff that we simply don't know. And the need for expansion, one of the questions I've gotten a couple of times, Drew, and I don't mean to ramble. I'm trying to trying to break down the picture as I see it. The last thing, the real nail in the coffin for this was the announcement of the ACC network. ACC Media Day is going on this week in somewhere in the ACC country whose name escapes me. They announced a network that would be run through ESPN, much like the SEC network, debuting in 2019, I believe, was the year. That puts the ACC in the ballpark with the Big Big Ten and the SEC in revenue. So, you know, it's just it's continuing to push more money into the system. You have to wonder, is the system ever going to get to a point where there is too much money in it or – it's almost uh, like diminishing returns, I think, would be a better way to put it. But right now, I want to see more specifics before I really jump into it. Yes, I think the Big 12 is going to go to 14. And yes, they're going to have a championship game. But is it going to be like, in many ways, the Big 10, where it's a triumvirate of, well, let's call it a you know, four kind of like a four top heavy team with Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, and Ohio State, and everyone else just kind of beats up on each other and occasionally surges. Or, you know, what's it going to look like? Because with the four that you've outlined, with Cincinnati, uh, Houston, uh, help me out, Drew. I'm sorry. Memphis. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah no, it's, it's with the three right now: BYU, Cincinnati, and Houston. The fourth is kind of a free for all. Yeah. But you know, Memphis could be there because. FedEx, as we know, uh, is a big donor for Memphis. They're they and as Chip Brown told me, money drives this. Yeah. They are offering to sponsor the Big Twelve championship game to try to get Memphis in the conference. And then also you've got Central Florida. But I talked to another uh, good friend today, T.J. Carpenter, who's up in Kansas City. He doesn't believe that Central Florida 
is a viable enough program to be a, to be chosen, though they are in that huge Florida market. Uh, and I think that it's more about – with that, it's TV markets. And I know they went 0-12 in football last year, Thomas. But remember, yeah. three years ago, they were under Georgia yeah. Liberty. Yeah, they, they, they win the Fiesta Bowl over Baylor with Blake Bortles and go like, I think, 13-1 and or something to that effect. So they have had success at UCF. They've had Dante Culpepper. Uh, they've had some – uh, they just not sustained success, and so we'll see what Scott Frost can do. But and then also UConn, and what UConn brings to the table, Thomas, is basketball. Uh, you you get uh, a recent national champion, Kevin Ollie, coaching that program. Jim Calhoun built it, and then it's not nearly as high profile a sport, but it's still Gino Oriema and the and the women's program. That's uh, the big biggest powerhouse in the, in women's college basketball, and you would help that elevate your uh, Big 12 league. And, of course, you've already got Kim Mulkey, uh, Robertson, and uh, in, the, uh, in, in, ba- in Baylor, who's won a couple national championships. But still, when you add UConn, it's going to up your profile. But, but the only problem is, as you've already alluded, is this is about football and money, and UConn doesn't have the football lineage. Right. And that's really what – that's going to be the interesting problem. Like, is it a perception thing? Because – like I, like the SEC's perception, and this this is where perception may not meet reality. The SEC's right. perception is they just beat we. I'll say we because I'm in SEC country and we're an Alabama podcast. We beat the snot out of each other for mm-hmm. two and a half months. Whereas you look at an Ohio State, you look at a Michigan. You know, Michigan now that they're back under Jim Harbaugh, probably a better better way to look is Michigan under Lloyd Carr. Um, Michigan State under Mark D'Antonio, it's really been those three programs that have been the fixtures. And if the Big 12 grabs those teams, are the, what are they really bringing them from a football perspective? Essentially, all they're what they'd be doing is they'd be, for lack of better terminology, free wins for whoever's better between Texas and Oklahoma. Right. And TCU is in the conversation, and they'll make noise. But okay, so they're free wins between Texas, Oklahoma, and TCU. Because I don't buy Baylor staying at a level that they're at right now. But it, it's a cool thing to ha- it's a cool thing to talk about. But until the Big Twelve adds football, looking from a football perspective, adds names that are more than just free wins, glorified Vanderbilts on the schedule. I don't really care. The Big 12 is not going to be able to overcome their perception problem. So as is, I don't think it really affects the college football landscape. And I know that's kind of a hot take, but you know, is it, it just, it doesn't think, I don't think it's going to change it unless it you have some kind of weird trickle down effect so that you get super conferences or you get a bigger playoff or something like that. And that's so far down the line that I don't think it's going to matter. Yeah, and that's a good point, Thomas. And, and I, I think it's just it's going to be interesting to see who that fourth team is because Chip Brown just basically told me it was wide open. He felt like that the other three were getting a lot of buzz because West Virginia wants Cincinnati to kind of pair up with them and be a regional rival because West Virginia is kind of out there too. And then Cincinnati gets them in the Ohio, in the state of Ohio. And right now their football program, they didn't have a great year last year. We know Tuberville has won big. He's been at Ole Miss, and he won big at Auburn. Uh, and then Nick Saban, uh, you know, basically flushed him. But still, you know, he, he's uh, – <laughs> Not he's, the first, he, not the last. Yeah, and then he had some success at Texas Tech. So he, he's, a, he's been around big-time football, and Cincinnati's got some pretty good basketball tradition as well. 
to me, the one school that I'm surprised is not getting any mention, and I guess they're not going to uh, – for them, they don't want to add two more schools in the state of Texas, but and, – and also because their programs uh, – now basketball has been on the uptick because of a new arena and Larry Brown, but he's now retired again. Uh, but the biggest thing is SMU. But obviously – their football program has not had a ton of success since the death penalty, and they don't have the panache of Houston. And what this gives Houston, should this come to fruition, and the Cougars join the Big 12, it gives them a legit chance, Thomas, to hold on to Tom Herman because they true. will be in a Power 5 league with a chance to compete. And, you know, we, we all, we've all heard the speculation that now they don't have as deep a pocket as Texas. But that if, you know, Charlie Strong doesn't turn it around or if Kevin Sumlin uh, falters again, that he could end up at one of those two schools. But should uh, Houston get into the Big 12, he, they already upped his salary to $3 million. When you factor in all that money from uh, a, a Power 5 league that comes flowing in that Houston could do with their facilities, they've already been trying to upgrade them, but that they could, could what they could continue to do and then for, to do for Tom Herman as, a, as far as compensation – they would have a legit chance to maybe keep him. That's true. And I think that's the only way that Houston keeps Tom Herman, assuming that Houston doesn't fall off the face of the planet over the next year or two. But assuming Houston is competitive this year on a national scale and the year after, they, they're going to have to go in the you know $3 million, I think $5.5 is going to be on the table because I don't think coaching salaries are going to magically go away. Like they're not going to magically start shrinking. And Texas would pay that. I, I am fairly confident that the folks at Texas are a lot like the folks were during the Dubo Shula days at Alabama. They want a winner and price tag be damned. So we'll see. We yeah, we will. Pay. In about four minutes, we're going to have Chris Kirchner on with us to talk some recruiting, Thomas, and he'll be ready. He'll be locked and loaded and ready to go. And uh, that, but I'm just really, and I'm going to be fascinated because, you know, I've heard te- uh, I've heard people say that the Big Twelve could only add maybe two teams, but I I think you've really got to add four, and you can't stop at three. It's got to be an even number. Uh, oh, absolutely. It's it has to be an even number. I. I... It's shocking to think that they'd go up to 14, but what are the financials? Like, that's the thing, and that, that's something that throughout this process, if there's one thing that I'm going to say over and over because I'm sure it's going to come up on BAMS or it's going to come up on Alabama Scheme Team or wherever it comes up, it's the financials. It is a money-driven enterprise. So it's it, it, it could turn into a situation where, let's say you have those three that you you arranged, you spoke of, and then the fourth one, the fourth team is a wild card. Well, if FedEx pledges fifty million dollars a year to the Big Twelve, that probably trumps anything that another school could do, short of taking less money in a TV deal, which pumps you know seventy-five million into the Big Twelve. It's like a weird reverse auction going on because of how the dynamic is starting to play out, and we'll see. I mean, I, I don't. I don't mean to sound dismissive of it, and it. I I feel like a lot of people are going to end up really, really pissed when this comes out because it's going to be a cattywampus situation, which will enrich a few and completely hammer even people within their own conference. But you know, those universities are run by adult men and women who make decisions, so it 
It's not like they're going to be coerced into it. I just, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to fathom taking less money, but sometimes your branding, you know, the belief in branding is worth it. And we'll see how, if there's one thing, we'll see how much it costs. How, how much do you have to, how much are you willing to forgive to build your brand? Absolutely. That's what's going to, that's what it's going to take. And, uh, and they have to, and then after what's happened in the playoff, they did get Oklahoma in last year, but they got whacked by Clemson. But the year before they thought they were going to get two and they got zero yeah, if everyone else has a championship game, you need one as well. And then they need a 14-team league uh, to assure themselves a good shot for to have a place at the table in the end. Right. No and, doubt about no, it. Absolutely. And that's that's the thing. You know, it's money, but it is it is perception. Like, it's money. I, I know I just said it's all about money. It's not about perception. But it's, you know, you want to you want to have, you have a, the best seat you can at the table because – the college football playoff right now, there will be a, a league that is odd man out. There, there will be. There, there are five big conferences, and there are four seats. That doesn't even count if a, someone like Houston were to go undefeated. I don't see how the college football playoff committee keeps an undefeated Houston out, unless you have four undefeated major champions. But you know, then it's three, and – I don't think for a second that a one-loss SEC team will ever be out of the college football playoff. I don't think that a one-loss Big Ten team will ever be out of the college football playoff. So, you know, you got at maximum two butts for three seats or two butts for one seat, and that's that's an issue. And, you know, you got to win that. You, you don't want to lose that because you saw the, the tank that the Big 12 took when they missed the playoff two years ago. Yeah, that's exactly right, and uh, they uh, they really paid for that, and uh, they were. But Oklahoma was, of course, considered the t- the hottest team in America last year. Uh, but uh, what uh, what happened with that was we saw Clemson uh, just took them apart. They got off to a, a promising start in the first drive, but then it went south quickly, and we saw Clemson uh, dominate Oklahoma. And then come close to winning the national championship. I mean, they had a great uh, football team. Dabo Sweeney, Alabama graduate, Pelham High School graduate, did an outstanding job working and building that program and has really accomplished more than I ever thought he would. I want to see if he can stay consistent and stay in the mix to, uh, you know, to kind of uh, keep Clemson in the playoff hunt. He is, I mean, Clemson will be one of the favorites along with Florida State in that league. They broke through against the Knowles last year. Let's see uh, what they can do this year against the Florida State Seminoles, who will have a chance to make a statement of their own uh, in Orlando, Florida, September the 5th. That's actually a Monday night against uh, the uh, the Ole Miss Rebels, who a lot of people are picking to be a big-time factor in uh, the SEC. But now we are going to go back to the uh, Sunbelt Tents hotline. We want to thank uh, Billy Tentman for sponsoring us it's, it's always a pleasure hope he's listening in tonight and uh, we have our next guest it's his first time on bams radio he's been on my show a couple of times on talking ball on 97.7 the zone in huntsville but he does an outstanding job covering recruiting very good writer uh, for the ajc's uh, sec country and that is chris kirchner chris how are you doing tonight i'm doing well thanks for having me drew yes sir always we admire your work and We've been following it closely. I know we couldn't hook up with you at the opening, and I, 
that was your first uh, time covering that event, and I thought you did an outstanding job, had a lot of great info. I guess before we kind of break into the nuts and bolts of Alabama's camp this week and this cookout coming up and the D-line OLDL camp this Saturday, kind of give us your kind of your uh, overview of the opening and uh, how you thought the Alabama commits performed and the targets, I should say, too. Yeah, you know, it was a really good event um, for Alabama's commits for sure. Um, the team that had uh, six Alabama commits actually won uh, the seven-on-seven tournament, uh, obviously led by uh, four-star quarterback commit to a Tonga Vailoa. Um, I have to say I was super impressed with uh, Tonga Vailoa's performance in that championship game. He went 19 of 23, over 200 yards, four touchdowns in the first half. It, it was just a, a really masterful, masterful performance, and obviously that performance led to him winning uh, the Elite 11 MVP. But he wasn't the only Alabama commit to um, really shine, I, I thought. I thought Vandarius Cowan and Markel Benton, the two linebacker commits, really performed well. Um, you know, especially in a seven-on-seven seven setting, it's not really – uh, linebackers event to showcase their skills. But what I was really impressed with is that those two guys in particular, they were running alongside, you know, the top running backs and wide receivers in the country. When you have linebackers that can, you know, drop back in pass coverage and stay step for step with some of these top athletes in the country, that's really impressive. And uh, both Cowan and uh, Benton really showed off their pass coverage skills. But overall, you know, it was a really good event. Um, got a chance to see um, Tongo Vailoa hook up a lot with uh, four-star wide receiver target Jerry Judy uh, down in Pompano Beach. And Judy's obviously one of the Crimson Tide's top targets at wide receiver. And uh, I should say, Jerry Judy's not really one to uh, talk to media that much. But right after that championship game, I, I had a chance to talk to him. And he had a giant, giant smile on his face talking about uh, to his performance and how he said, you know, he's a guy I can see myself playing alongside if I do go to Alabama. And right now I think Alabama is the favorite, um, although he won't say publicly, but I feel really strongly about um, where Judy stands with Alabama. But, yeah, you know, overall it was a really good performance by all the Alabama commits and the majority of um, the team's targets. And I wanted to ask you about Vandarius Cowan because he's been very outspoken since he flipped from Florida State and being a leader of the class and trying to recruit uh, several targets. But just looking at his, you know, pictures of him at that event and, and since then, is it just me or has he put on a lot of good weight this uh, so far this summer? Or I know you've seen him a lot more than I have in person. He also did the Rivals five-star challenge, but I, it looks to me like he's gotten thicker. Oh, yeah, he definitely uh, got thicker. That's a really good observation by you. Um, Vandarius, at, at one point, he had his um, his compression shirt rolled up so you can see, like, his stomach. And that guy, he's super ripped. Uh, I was really impressed with uh, how he looked um, physically. Out of all the linebackers um, there, he was definitely one of the top, I'd say, two or three uh, guys that really just look like a physical specimen. He definitely put on a lot of good weight. But, and like you said, um, you know, heading into the, the spring and summer, there were definitely questions about um, his body, but he, he's definitely in tip-top shape. He's only going to get stronger and more ripped, um, you know, when, when he does get to Alabama in a proper nutrition program, a proper weight program. So that was definitely a good sight to see for sure. 
Absolutely, and and then talk about Benton as well. He this is his second straight year going to the opening. Uh, there had been some thought that he got too heavy last year during his high school season that he needed to drop weight. I know it's something he's even spoken on the record with people about that he's trying to get lighter and uh, better on his feet as far as being a little bit more athletic and being able to drop into coverage. You talked about that he performed well uh, at the mm-hmm. opening, and that's what the uh, impression I got as well. Just kind of talk about Benton and his process uh, and how he's gotten better in your eyes as a player. Yeah, you know, when I, when I started covering recruiting, um, Benton was one of those guys I had my eye on. Um, before I started covering Alabama, I, uh, I covered Georgia recruiting, and um, Georgia was after him pretty strongly. But, yeah, he was a guy that uh, definitely needed to lose um, a couple pounds uh, heading into his senior season, and he definitely did that. Um, like I said earlier, he was, you know, step for step with some of these top guys. In the championship game, um, Benton's team – went up against Cam Akers, former Alabama commit, uh, one of the speediest running backs in the 2017 class. And Benton was step for step with Cam Akers. So um, it takes a lot, of, a lot of speed and a lot of skill to um, keep up with a guy like Cam Akers. And, and Benton was right there alongside him. There, you know, there were some plays where Benton, um, you know, got a little behind um, the receivers. But, um, you know, for the most part, he was really step-for-step with these guys and um, really, really impressive in pass coverage. So that was definitely a good sight to see. And then uh, you've already talked about Tua. To go back into how he performed, he won the Elite 11 and the 7-on-7, much like Blake Barnett a couple of years ago. Uh, He seems to have a lot of intangible things uh, with him. You talked about what Judy said about him. Uh, yeah, every all the reaction that I heard was that he was he he's a leader. People love playing with him. He's such a positive guy. And then you hear the things that uh, Trent Dilfer said about him. How far he came during the Elite Eleven process when they had him in combines and camps, and and what he was able to accomplish uh, in winning the uh, Elite Eleven title. Uh, he really uh, I've heard the name Russell Wilson evoked, and I think that's a great comparison because Russell is also a great leader and a great talent. But just talk, and you've been as close to Tua and had as, as good, really the best coverage of anyone. You're very close to the family, but kind of talk about uh, how he's done and, and, and how far he's even he's come and as a player. And now I know he's almost now a consensus five-star prospect. Yeah, you know, um, he definitely has had a great spring and summer. He's been super impressive in almost every single event uh, that he's participated in, every single rep. He's looked fantastic. But the one thing that, I, um, that really stood out to me um, at the opening was just how much velocity he has on his ball. You know, with a left-handed quarterback, uh, you usually see these guys not really have that much uh, strength on their ball. They, they have a, a wind-up, but two really doesn't uh, showcase that um, at all um, coming from the left side. But I think really the, the, the most important thing about two is that like you said, he is the definition of a leader. Uh, he had a lot of outspoken personalities on that team at the opening, and those guys rallied around him. There, there were no guys given um, to a lip about his play calls or um, missing any routes. Those guys absolutely loved Tua. There, there was no negative comments about him that week. But also, the I think I thought the most impressive thing is that you know here he is at the Elite 11 competition, which is probably uh, the biggest quarterback competition a high school um, player can go through. 
and he's holding Bible study sessions at night for some of the, the prospects there. I thought that was super impressive. It just goes to show you um, what kind of guy uh, Alabama is getting in him because there really aren't that many um, high school players that, you know, you go to an event like this um, at Nike headquarters and are still worried about um, who they are truly as a person. And that's what he did. You know, he had uh, fellow Alabama running back commit Najee Harris in that Bible study. There were a few other guys in that Bible study as well that, that aren't Alabama commits, but just gravitated toward him because um, he's just a guy that everybody wants to be around. And, and for Alabama to have someone like that, especially at the quarterback position is very important for the team's future moving forward. And you did an outstanding job uh, speaking with his mother. There's people still doubting the uh, how solid his commit was because of Oregon offering and the, mm-hmm. and the Ducks coming into the picture. But his mother provided some clarity on that situation and then, of course, talked about the visits. It looks like Tua is very solid to the Crimson Tide. Yeah, you know, like I said on, on your, uh, your radio show before, um, loyalty is very important um, to that family. Um, they are very religious. They pretty much live and die by being true to your word and being honest. So, yeah, you know, obviously Oregon offered and the, the obvious connections are there. Um, Marcus Mariota went to, um, to his high school. He's the same, pretty much the same style of quarterback, dual threat quarterback, can make plays with your legs, went to Oregon, um, Polynesian as well. So, yeah, obviously the connections are there. Tua is often compared to Mariota. And when Oregon offered, I know a lot of people, um, I know some writers put in some crystal ball picks to, for him to flip to Oregon. But, um, you know, talking to Tua and his mother um, very extensively since uh, even before he was committed to Alabama, I can say that um, there really shouldn't be any concern from Alabama fans uh, with his commitment. You know, yes, he's going to take these visits um, elsewhere, most notably to uh, Southern California, which is which he has classified as his dream school in the past. But you know, you have to remember that these guys are are high school kids that they they want to experience this um, this process because I know a lot of people say it's a it's a once in a lifetime opportunity for these guys, and it is. They they want to experience what it's like to be. Um, a recruit, you know, you, you see Alex Leatherwood, five-star offensive tackle commit, uh, continue to take visits elsewhere. And he's one of the team's strongest commits. You know, sometimes these guys just want to go um, travel to different places and see, see what else is around. But it doesn't mean that they're going to waver on their commitments. And I think that's why a lot of people, especially with him being from Hawaii, 4,000 miles away from Brian Benton Stadium, uh, he may get cold feet, but that's really not the case. Um, he's very, very solid with Alabama. Well, Chris, Chris, sorry. Go, go ahead, Thomas. Go ahead. Sorry, uh, my, my mic was on mute. I got I – brain, I, I brain farted. Anyway, Chris, <laughs> you, you, know, you mentioned one guy that a lot of Alabama fans have been really excited about, been hyped up as – you know, one of the best running backs to come out in recent memory. What was your right. uh, what was your perception of Najee Harris throughout the opening? Yeah, you know, on on the field, that guy is absolutely incredible. He actually w- wasn't performing at a 100%. He had a PCL injury. Um, it was one of the reasons why he did not test, and he also was coming off a hip injury. 
So um, for him to have the performance he did was absolutely um, mesmerizing, I would say. He, uh, there was one, uh, one time in a one-on-one drill against a four-star linebacker, Anthony Hines, who has like 90 offers or something like that. And he just put the, the juke move on him, and his, I thought his ankles were actually broken. He is definitely uh, a, a special talent, easily the best running back prospect uh, since Leonard Fournette. He's a guy that Alabama is, you know, obviously there's a battle there, you know, like Tango Vailoa and and Leatherwood, they're going to, um, he's going to take visits still, but you know, battle that Alabama is definitely willing to uh, fight because um, Harris is one of those uh, once in a generation talents. And it, it really showed. I think the one thing in particular that really impressed me is that all the running backs were in a group at one point. Um, just standing around, and you can just see uh, Najee tower over these guys. You know, and you know he's he's only six three, uh, and but he just really towered over these guys. He has he has an NFL made body already, and it's just going to be really special to see how he develops when he does get to college. Yeah, and uh, I, I agree. I'm I'm super excited about Najee. I saw him fake out Dylan Moses. I know uh, I think Dylan won one of the rips from him, but yep. I think he won two of the three. And uh, Najee's a special talent. And the thing that I think uh, w- what sort of surprised me, and to me it shows that some of these guys don't do their homework. There's a well-known analyst that was that down there at the opening, and he said that works for ESPN, and he made the comment that he didn't think Najee Harris had good hands. And I thought, well, dude, I don't know what you're watching. <laughs> But uh, I, I've been watching this cat for over a year in settings on uh, – not in person, but video on fi- film of his high school games and, of course, in the all these settings at these combines. And he catches the ball like a wide receiver. And I know he and Tua had good chemistry uh, at the uh, opening. But I just uh, – to me, I hate to say can't miss, but I really believe that with this kid. As long as he doesn't get injured – uh, and we, our, our colleague William Redfish Barger, Chris, was on the uh, program in the first hour. He has told me that as, as long as he goes to Alabama or Ohio State, and he feels like he's gonna, he's a solid commit to Alabama. He said he will be Alabama's third Heisman Trophy winner. He thinks he's the best running back to come out of high school football since Adrian Peterson. Yeah, you know, um, that's obviously high praise. But uh, to make a comment about the ESPN analysts um, saying Najee didn't, doesn't have good hands, uh, that's definitely uh, mind-blowing because if, if he was a wide receiver, he would definitely be a nationally ranked recruit. And, and you know, in, in the seven-on-seven setting, running backs really aren't focused on that much because um, it's pretty much primarily a passing um, event, but Najee caught plenty of balls out of the backfield and looked really good doing it. Um, you know, I was definitely impressed. They they lined him out, lined him up in a wide receiver a couple of times, and he was running crisp routes like he's been doing it his entire life. So um, for him to make a comment like that is really um, quite puzzling to me because, um, like I said, if Najee was a wide receiver strictly he would be a nationally ranked recruit. But, yeah, you know, I can see um, what he's talking about, about him being uh, the best running back prospect since Adrian Peterson. There aren't many guys that um, coming out of high school can spin away from you 
can jump over you, can outrun you, and Najee can do all those things. And, um, you know, for him being only 17 years old, um, going into his senior season, that's really, really impressive. And I can see how someone would say that if Najee does go to Alabama, he would be the team's third Heisman Trophy running uh, Heisman Trophy winner because he's that that good. Well, and I and now to kind of transition to what's going on this week, we know you've had uh, excellent coverage of Alabama's last elite camp, which is wrapped up. Now we will see. Uh, the uh, O-line, D-line camp on Saturday, but of course the the cookout this weekend as well. Uh, you could be, which is I, I guess good for you, but you will be. I, there's a possibility that very busy this weekend, Alabama, and uh, could get a, a few commitments this weekend, and and kind of talk about how that could play itself out. Yeah, I think I'm going to be uh, very busy. I have a backup <laughs> uh, battery packs for my laptop and phone. Uh, it's going to be a very, very busy week. Um, you know, Alabama has its invite-only cookout event, uh, the Champions Cookout. Uh, they invited pretty much uh, around 20, 30 top, of the top recruits, four or five-star players, um, not only in the 2017 class, but also 2018. But, yeah, I think there's a very good chance that Alabama gets a couple commitments um, this weekend. I think uh, the, the main guy to focus on is Major Tennyson former Texas mm. tight end commit. I think he's probably the most likely guy to commit. I had a chance to speak with him a couple of days ago, and he told me that if he gets that wow sort of feeling, uh, he's most likely going to commit. And I, I've never spoken to a kid that doesn't have a, a wow type of feeling uh, visiting Alabama. Once you see all those national championship trophies and sit across the, the table from Nick Saban, it's hard to say no to – uh, a program like that. So I think he's definitely a guy Alabama fans should keep an eye on. I think the next guy to, to is likely to commit is a 2018 player, defensive back, Miles Mason. Uh, Miles told me a couple of days ago that Alabama has led for him since the ninth grade, since he first stepped on Alabama's campus, and he hasn't changed his mind at all. Auburn is currently his number two school, but the, the gap between Alabama and Auburn is probably as wide as the Grand Canyon. There's, there's really nothing Auburn can do at this point to catch Alabama. So I would, I would look at those two guys in particular um, at committing. There are, there are a few other guys that could possibly uh, pull the trigger. You know, junior college cornerback Javante Dean from Blinn College, uh, same college that uh, Cam Newton uh, attended. I think he's a guy that could possibly do it. You know, he's told me in the past that he wants to commit in August, but Alabama is his favorite school right now. So if, if that visit goes well, I don't see why he would just wait until August to announce his decision. And then uh, James Clemens high school defensive back, Kyrie McDonald is another guy that could possibly commit. Once he got that offer, um, I put in my crystal ball to Alabama about a minute after. Now, from talking, at, talking with him in the past, even before he got this Alabama offer, I, I know how much he loves the Crimson Tide and the possibility to play alongside you know, two teammates and um, four-star defensive end target, LeBron Ray, and three-star linebacker, Monty Rice. I think all those guys could potentially end up in Alabama's class. So I think those names in particular, fans should keep a close eye on. Yeah, and I don't think there's any doubt. You know, I've been hearing the same on Kyrie. He's down here in my neck of the woods, and 
he's been an amazing story because he only started last year on the varsity. He replaced his brother who walked on at South Alabama and really exploded the second half of his uh, junior season and has had a very good camp circuit, uh, performed very well a couple of times in front of the Tide staff. So we'll be watching that. And, of course, we'll be watching LeBron Ray, uh, the defensive end, who has gone from mid-major offers last October to many believing he could be the top prospect in the state. But another big-time prospect, Chris, uh, that I know you've been uh, monitoring closely, who's coming, but who I think may already be in town, uh, and will be staying through Sunday. How significant is it for Alabama getting Isaiah Wilson back on campus? Uh, Very significant. Anytime you can get a kid that lives over 1,000 miles away from campus uh, multiple times, in the off season, it's a very big deal. And uh, Isaiah Wilson, like you said, is in Tuscaloosa and will stay until Sunday. But I think what's more important is that um, Vandarius Cowan, who's been really in that guy's ear, um, is also going to be in town. So anytime you can get Cowan around some of these top targets, and, and it's too bad um, Alex Leatherwood won't be here as well. But those those two guys, um, Leatherwood and Isaiah Wilson, talk every single day um they're in the same group chat with a bunch of other um commits and targets and um you know to get a guy like isaiah wilson from brooklyn to visit tuscaloosa twice in the span of a couple months is a very big deal and obviously he is one of the team's top targets on the offensive line and um like i said earlier there aren't many prospects that don't leave tuscaloosa wowed by what they saw and what they heard from uh, the staff. So um, with him visiting multiple days, he's going to have plenty of time to um, not only talk to Mario Cristobal and Brent Key, but also plenty of FaceTime with Nick Saban. So it's very possible that by the time uh, Sunday rolls around, um, you know, who knows, maybe Isaiah Wilson uh, comes out and says Alabama is his favorite. I think right now, um, you know, he does have a top five, Alabama is in that mix, but I think right now it's probably a three-team race with uh, Michigan and Georgia being Alabama's um, top competition. And speaking of that, it looks like Alabama wants to add a couple more O-linemen, Isaiah Wilson being one of them that is uh, uh, is definitely near the top, if not the top. Uh, but we, I know he said another Madison, Alabama prospect, set a decision date last night. It looks as though Kendall Randolph will announce on August the 2nd and that could be back-to-back good days for Alabama because I know, as you have reported for a while, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's known that uh, Henry Ruggs will commit on the first. So could be back-to-back good days for the Tide. I fully expect it to be uh, back-to-back great days for Alabama. Um, for the longest time, it's really been no secret. Um, we'll start with Henry Ruggs. It's really no secret that Alabama is his favorite school. Uh, he's visited Tuscaloosa. I, I can't even count the times he's visited. Uh, it's it's too many. Uh, he he he's coming off a trip to Penn State. Um, I know it's a school that he's talked about with me in the past, but really it's no uh, it's really no competition for Alabama. Uh, honestly, at this time, I really can't even name a number two school for Henry Ruggs because that's how much he loves Alabama and the Crimson Tide. He's actually going to be on campus um, for this cookout this weekend just another chance to, you know, get, get in front of the staff, get in front of Billy Napier and, and Coach Shaven, and, you know, get, get wooed pretty much by them. So I think on August 1st it would be a, one of the biggest surprises I've seen in recruiting if Henry Ruggs goes elsewhere. And then the following day, Kendall Randolph, 
four-star offensive guard from Bob Jones High School. Um, you know, he's the brother of Levi Randolph, former Alabama basketball player. And like Ruggs, you know, Kendall's not a guy that's going to come out and say that Alabama is his favorite school. But, you know, from talking with him in the past and talking to people close to him, it, like Ruggs, it would really be a giant surprise if he ended up elsewhere. You know, he has Auburn in the mix. He has Tennessee in the mix. But, again, the, the gap between those, those schools to Alabama is very wide, even though he's not going to say that publicly. Um, you know, sometimes recruits want to keep that information to themselves. But, um, you know, from talking to other people around him, it would be a really big surprise if he ended up anywhere but Alabama. And then two weeks later from August 2nd, mm-hmm. um, another big-time target commits, Devontae Smith, an- another one. I-, I can't see him going anywhere other than Alabama. Yeah, and I know he's not going to be at the cookout, but they still feel really good about him, Chris. And then finally, I, I know you've been all-, all over this situation as well. It looks like uh, we, know, we know Alabama, Xavier McKinney has decommitted, but as William mm-hmm. Barger talked about in hour number one, Alabama has made a huge push uh, for Jacoby Stevens, and he could be someone in the next eh, few weeks that could uh, pledge to Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I know it's very significant that he's supposed to be in town this weekend. Yeah, very, uh, very significant. You know, I, I said a f- uh, early in June that Alabama was th- in the mix for Jacoby Stevens, and now Alabama has definitely been surging in his uh, group of favorites along with Georgia, Auburn, and LSU. His father told me earlier today that um, Jacoby will be at the team's cookout tomorrow. That's big news because, um, you know, I talked to Jacoby a few weeks ago, and he told me he wasn't expecting to make a trip to Alabama um, before he committed. And, you know, to to get him on campus again a couple weeks, maybe even a few days before his commitment, that's very big news. Um, What I can say is that, you know, from talking to Jacoby over the past couple months, he, he is a guy that changes his mind quite often. Um, you know, he's had Georgia as his, he did have Georgia as his leader for uh, some time. But I have to say, you know, you're probably going to see reports that say Alabama is the leader, and that's fine. That's in the moment. But from talking with him um, uh, a significant amount, he is a guy that does change his mind quite often. So, it's, it's going to be a wild ride for him. Um, you know, every, anything is possible until he, uh, you know, signs that LOI. But, um, you know, it's really good news that Alabama is in the mix uh, because they really weren't strongly in the mix until he took that visit um, last month. And now Alabama is definitely in the mix. Uh, you know, they had four coaches attend the satellite camp he attended in Nashville a couple days ago. Um, Lane Kiffin was there, Jeremy Pruitt, Derek Ansley, and Mike Loxley. And that, that did make a, a, a significant impression on him. It showed just how much Alabama wants him, and he definitely responded to that. Well, Chris, this has been an outstanding conversation. We've, it's been a quick 30 minutes with you. Your first time on BAMS, and hopefully definitely not the last. We, I, we enjoy your work at the AJ, AJC's SEC country. It's outstanding. Uh, great writer. Talk about, I guess, you tell everybody, let everybody know, of course, about your Twitter feed for our listeners, and we'll have a lot listening on the podcast tomorrow. And, of course, what you're going to be working on, because, as you said, you're going to have that uh, phone charged and that laptop. It's going to be a busy <laughs> weekend for you. Yeah, you guys can follow me at uh, Chris K underscore AJC. 
And yeah, I, I fully expect it to be a very busy weekend. Um, as the commits roll in, uh, my Twitter feed will be uh, updated as soon as possible. <laughs> Website SEC Country will be updated as soon as possible. Um, yeah, I don't really expect to get off the, the couch all that much, only to, I guess, eat. I have to eat sometime, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Got to eat and got to get, got to stay hydrated in this heat. But thank you, Chris. We really appreciate it. Great conversation. And we look forward to having you on BAMS Radio and, of course, my show, Talking Ball again. We really enjoy your work. Thank you, my friend. Thanks a lot. That's Chris Kirshner, everyone. Right at 9 o'clock on the dot is Thomas Watson and I have been having so much fun. When you're having fun, Thomas, a quick two hours. Absolutely. And, Drew, before we get out of here, as the conversation between the three of us was going on, Big 12 deal may be brewing between the University of Texas and Houston. The specific, And this is being reported by uh, the Austin American Statesman. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Kind of interesting deal. Uh, Houston would would stop trying to block Texas from moving into Houston, so it'd be the University of Texas at Houston, and in return, Texas would endorse Houston to get into the Big Twelve. Yeah, that's been that was being reported earlier today that Texas was not going to block Houston from getting in, and it looks like uh, now Oklahoma I don't think is really thrilled with it. Uh, they uh, shouldn't be. But <laughs> but uh, but again, uh, Houston. It'll, it's going to give them a foothold and give them a chance to compete in a Power 5 league. And as we all know, don't forget, Thomas, first game of the season, 11 a.m., one of the first televised games on the Saturday the 3rd, Oklahoma travels to play Houston. Yeah, that's going to be a hell of a game, and uh, I am looking forward to it. <laughs> Absolutely, and we had a great show today. We hope all of our listeners tonight enjoyed BAMS Radio. I want to thank our guest, William Redfish Barger, of course, being a permanent part of the show. And then Benji Mahan, great conversation from Fayetteville, Arkansas, the O-line and O-C there for the Bulldogs, the defending 7A state champions, and there is a big-time pupil, Akil Byers, who's committed to Alabama, and, of course, Chris Kirchner. Great recruiting talk and Thomas's breakdown of the Big 12 expansion. Really enjoyed the show tonight. Hope everyone has a great rest of your weekend as uh, Friday's almost upon us. Roll Tide, everybody, and we look forward to speaking with you next Thursday. <laughs>